Hi everyone, I'm Brent Love and this is Hope Works, a podcast by Hope Surrogacy. For this season of Hope Works, we've asked intended parents to share what it's like to build their families through surrogacy. Today we're talking with Kieran and Kumar. Kieran and Kumar are the kind of people who light up the room. They have an inner joy that shines in their smiles. And from what they say, I'm guessing that joy comes from spending their childhoods with their big, bustling Indian families. When I talked with Kieran and Kumar, they were at the beginning of surrogacy. They hadn't been matched with the surrogate yet, and they were waiting. But there had been many, many years on their parenting journey before that. At one point in the conversation, Kieran says she wishes more people talked about the kind of things she and her husband went through. And so, full of bravery, the couple shares how hard things got for them and what gave them the power to keep going through miscarriages and intense loss. At the end of the tunnel, there's a light. And for Kieran and Kumar, there was a bright light that began their journey too, their own families. That's where our conversation starts. Okay, hi. Hi. Hello. Um, I'm so excited to talk about your journey. And I thought maybe a good place to start would be to talk about um, kind of your childhood and maybe one of the first points of your life where you really thought about parenthood and where that dream kind of started, maybe for each of you. I don't know if... Uh, yeah. it'd be different for each of you. Yeah. So well, I'm born and raised in Chicago. Um, I have one older brother and I think for me, one of my fondest memories kind of looking back collectively was just that my mom was home with us till mm. we were probably about 11 or 12 is when she started going to work. And I just like kind of remember coming home and there were like cookies made or muffins or just, it, it just felt so idealistic in a way, yeah. but, but it was really my truth also. And my dad was so involved. I remember when I was little, he would actually make my, like do my hair before I go to school. <laughs> so he'd comb my hair yeah. and put barrettes in my hair. And, That's um, so, so I just, just growing up, I had a really close relationship with my parents and my brother. We're just a year and a half apart in age. And I think from that very early age, like family was so important to me. And I, Seriously, can't remember a time where I never thought of having my own kids. You know, it's, it's just, just always been it's there. always been there. I, I think when I was like 14, my uncle had uh, a son. So he was a baby. I was 14. And I literally would like beg my uncle, like drop him off over the weekend so I can just play with him and take care of him. And, Aww. you know, and so, yeah, I've just kind of, I think, always had that very kind of maternal instinct. And so it started pretty early. And I honestly even kind of, uh, my career was somewhat even uh, shaped on having something that was flexible for having mm. children, you know, and, uh, but. Can yeah. I ask um, what you do that oh, is sure. so flexible? Yeah. Well, so I always kind of wanted to be in healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, my brother, my, and I should actually back up by saying, you know, he, we were really close and I always wanted to be just like my bigger, you know, my older brother. And he knew from an early age, he wanted to be a physician and uh, I just knew for myself because I wanted to, you know, be married and have a husband, have children that it just didn't feel like the right fit for me. So but I wanted to be in healthcare. So for me, I ended up going into pharmacy because I just felt like I would have a lot more flexibility sure. and I wouldn't be in school for like 10 years or 12 years. And so that's kind of what I do. But I specifically work in the pharmaceutical industry. But you were thinking even like as you started out that yeah, I need a career that'll be flexible enough for my family because absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I was making these decisions like at 16. Wow. Yeah. 16 years old is when I graduated high school. So. Wait, what? You graduated at <laughs> 16? Graduated at 16. Yeah. I, I skipped a year of high school. So wow, that's yeah, kind of young. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Kumar, how about you? How, when did like, what was your family life like growing up? And when did you start thinking about, right. Um, so I grew up in Florida. Um, I grew up in a, I guess you could say like a multi-generational uh, household where my grandparents lived with us. So, and I had a large family. So there was always cousins and um, 
you know, I had my little brother, I had my grandparents, aunt and uncles. So in my mind, um, there wasn't like a, like a specific time where I decided in my mind, like, you know, I want to have kids at, from an early age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always expected we'd have a large family, have basically what I grew up with, you know, a bustling house with grandma, grandpa, mm-hmm. cousins, um, little brothers, little sisters. Full of all around. those memories that you... Right. Like playing in the backyard, yeah. you know, playing tackle loco, uh, <laughs> getting in little arguments, uh-huh. you know, uh, having weird little barter systems with, uh, like, I, I look forward to seeing how our kids interact with each other yeah. and like what sort of trouble they're going to get into. Cause me all and my the games brother, they make up, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then, so in my mind, it, 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 it was something that was always going to happen and it's going to happen. And that's how I, I see it. Um, okay. So then I have to ask, well, a two part question, which is how did you meet each other and how soon did you talk about kids? Okay. Well, I think she explains it better, but I, I would want to just say that it, it stems from a plaid shirt. A very nice looking plaid shirt. Okay. Yeah, so. he's, he's very correct yeah. in that. Yeah. So we actually met in 2011 in June and we met the good old fashioned way at a bar in Chicago. And, uh, one you of know, the few left of meeting know, that way now. I know. I mean, so at that time, <laughs> online dating was very much yeah, a thing. I was doing it. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. it, but we met at a bar. I We had no intentions of, you know, sometimes you're out like looking for people. But I was just out with a couple of girlfriends. And next thing I know, out of the corner of my eye, I see one of my girlfriends talking to him at the bar, like a random guy. And mind you, she's married. Um but she starts talking to him. And next thing I know, I see the two of them walking back towards us. And what happened at the bar, mm-hmm. she, she just struck up a conversation. I was just, I was ordering a drink. She, and she said she loved my shirt. I was like, <laughs> this is like one of the greatest shirts I've ever seen. I'm like, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> great. So, so my friend Barb and him came back because uh, she, you know, she just wanted to introduce him to me and my other girlfriend. So I was really embarrassed and shy because I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to think like she's trying to set me up with uh-huh. him. So we literally I was like, hi, nice to meet you. Anyway, you probably want to get back to your friends. Bye. Um, just leave. And so he, you know, after a minute or so, he left, went back to his friends. And uh, as the bar was closing and we're kind of all like heading out. Yeah, um, I saw her friend from a distance. She's actually a very tall person, so you could see her above everyone else. And she just had her arm outstretched, just like waving wildly in the air to get my attention. And I, I walked over and I asked, like, what are you girls up to tonight? <laughs> like, do we, do we want to hit up some more places? Or what are we going to do? And then I sort of just invited myself uh, <laughs> to, with them because uh-huh. they, they were still going to go a couple other places and then... The rest, the rest is, is history. history from there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that night. Okay, so I, I do have to ask, yeah. was the shirt really that great or was it just <laughs> a compliment to get the uh, conversation started? I, I think I, I was in much better shape back then. So then <laughs> the, the shirt just, it it is a very nice shirt. I still have it. Oh, I was going to say, probably, do you still have the oh, shirt? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's we, a good we luck We joked charm. about like framing the shirt because uh-huh. yeah. that's like the... You at least got to pass it on. It's got yeah, like, a, it it's to, got the good yeah. stuff yeah. now. Exactly. Your son might be able to use this shirt it's very important to keep yeah. it <laughs> so my friend was definitely the impetus in bringing us together so yeah so um how long then until you were married two years two from years. when we met yeah, yeah or yeah we met in june got married in july 2013 so after you get married you you know start looking forward to these dreams that you'd already mm-hmm. talked about and had been talking about for a couple of years um how soon did you start trying to have kids well Pretty soon, we got pregnant on our honeymoon. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we had gone to Ireland for our honeymoon, and we got pregnant, and we were, obviously, it wasn't planned at that point. We weren't not trying, but we weren't trying, I guess you could say. And uh, But when we found out we were pregnant, we were over the moon. Yeah, of course. Um, but that's that's kind of also, I guess you could say, that was the start of the roller coaster of emotions. I mean, we didn't know it at the time, but that, that was the start. So clearly we miscarried at about eight to nine weeks at that time. Um, but 
at that time, our physicians, you know, had no reason to worry. And they said, you know, it's very common, people miscarry. And, you know, being in the healthcare uh, field, I, I know this also, like, yeah. so kind of just brushed it off and that said, all right, we just need to try again. And uh, we tried um, for a couple months. And by this point, though, I'm 37 now. And, you know, so 37 at the time of the first miscarriage. Yeah, like 36 or 37. Mm -hmm. I was like, I just turned 37. Sure. Um, so I was probably 36 when I conceived, but then, you know, miscarried at 37. And, you know, at that point, they say you should try for maybe about six more months. And if you're in my age and if it's, you know, you're not pregnant again, then maybe you want to see an RE, a reproductive endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, we hadn't gotten pregnant again in six months. So our OB-GYN referred us to an RE. And at that time, she said that we don't have to do IVF. Um, however, she found that I do have a lot of fibroids and she said, oftentimes that can impact or like impair your ability to carry a pregnancy. So she recommended, you know, I get a hysteroscopy done, kind of get fibroids removed. And she said at your age, you know, if you are really set on wanting to have like children, I mean, I think IVF could be a really good option, but at that point it wasn't medically necessary, but she just made it sound like it would make things happen quicker. So okay. at that point now, I'm 37, now turning 38, you could say. Um, so, you know, he and I had discussed that, you know, why don't we just give it a shot? And I knew of so many people that did like one round of IVF and, you know, they were successful and they had babies. And, um, and again, that's kind of where this whole IVF journey started for us. You know, um, we did IVF and, you know, our first round of IVF was super successful. Um, we got like 36 eggs and, uh, you know, had no reason to wow. worry. And yeah, I mean, I remember Ari saying like, wow, that's like amazing. Um, she's like, you know, you're responding really well. You know, we had a lot that made it to day five that fertilized. We sent things for testing. Everything was coming back really positive. So we were really optimistic. Um, we transferred two at that point and we ended up with a chemical pregnancy, you know, so my numbers went up, but obviously it wasn't successful. And I'm sorry, I don't know. I, I don't know what a chemical pregnancy means. What does that mean? So a chemical pregnancy means like if you were just at home, like if I had not done IVF, I probably would not have even known I was pregnant. But because I did IVF, they were checking my blood levels, you know, yeah. to see the HCG levels. Right. Um, and so that's... And, and that's a number that indicates that they're... Like, even if you, you're doing IVF, you're doing surrogacy, they're measure, measuring HCG levels to make sure that pregnancy is growing at a, at a rate that you can expect... Right. You know, growth and you can expect it to continue. And they are just looking at those numbers very closely. And like you said, they wouldn't be looking at those numbers at all if you were just kind of at home getting pregnant. Exactly. But yeah. we were being followed closely and, you know, not to go really deep into all this medical stuff. But I also had another medical issue that kind of spontaneously occurred at that time. Um, so I was actually hospitalized for about, gosh, what was it? Two, so weeks, two weeks or oh so. Um, and so it was actually because of that, that my blood was getting monitored so frequently that they found out like I had a chemical pregnancy. Um, oh and so I had this other stuff, you know, medically I was kind of dealing with, but it was, it was strange. You know, I got, we got, I got discharged from the hospital, but then we got pregnant again, naturally, like the next month. Wow. Um, you know, it, it, it seemed like we were always getting pregnant very easily, but just never able to maintain it. You know, that just kind of seemed to be like the underlying theme, you know. Can I ask, so Kumar and Kieran, you're both in the medical world. So Kumar, you're, um, at, you're on some... Uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember at what mm -hmm. point you are in the physician world right. and becoming a physician. I'm a... I'm a medical student. I'm wrapping up my fourth year. I'll yep. start residency in internal medicine in July. 
Obviously. And so you've been in on that path now for many years. And yeah. so during this time you're studying mm-hmm. and you're and mm-hmm. it and it's all ramping up for you. And right. then you're in the pharmacy world. So how much is it comforting to know all the medical things and the medical realities? And how much is does it not matter to your heart? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question, but through the whole process, honestly, even with pregnancy number one, it's very emotional. Um, you know, my, my brother, my, he's also a physician and, you know, he's also been a huge support for us as well. Um, kind of a nice sounding board. And he always is trying to be very optimistic and kind of give me the facts, you know, um, and just say, it's okay. You know, miscarriages happen. Just try again. But it, it, like one is too many, yeah. let alone seven miscarriages. You know, I mean, that's kind of where we ended up at. And it it doesn't get easier. You know, I think uh, the science part of it makes you feel like there's still hope. Like we can keep trying, you know, like somewhere in your mind, I think you want to play the odds. If I do it enough, if I do enough IVF, if I get pregnant, you know, so many times, like at some point this has to work. Like that's what you think, you know, but that emotional part of you, it, it doesn't separate it. And you're, I mean, through the whole process, like I constantly had this feeling of like, why me? You know, Mm -hmm. like, why does this keep happening to me? Um, You know, I would have girlfriends that they weren't even planning to get pregnant and they would get pregnant and, you know, they would have babies and I'm still like going through IVF and, you know, it's, it's hard to see that. Um, when I'm struggling a little bit, but, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. I can't imagine seeing your friends become pregnant. And when you're going through IVF, you're giving yourself those shots and they're painful. And you kind of have this like physical reminder. Like I can just picture like sitting out with your friends, like having coffee or whatever. And they tell you they're pregnant and here you are like, knowing on your hip, you know, this like bruise that you have because you're trying so hard yeah, to and, get pregnant. And a lot of times, like I would say after probably the second or third pregnancy, you know, we also got to this point where we weren't necessarily sharing our journey mm-hmm. um, with just anyone. It was very, it became kind of a really tight circle of people that we confide in um, and kind of share our experiences. But with a lot of people, they didn't necessarily know what's going on. And I think that kind of made it a little difficult, like more difficult, but I did it to kind of protect myself also because I didn't want to have the questions, you know, a month later or two months later, Oh, so how's everything going? And then you have to talk about like, Oh, I, I miscarried or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think at that point too, we were, we were hopeful, but, but, um, expecting, uh, what is that? Hope for the best, but um, bracing prepare, yourself, yeah, bracing yourself for the worst after several of those. Um, so yeah, and I, I am a, I know as a partner, you are feeling a lot of other things, right? Kind of seeing your wife have to go through the medical part of, right? Because I mean, a lot of actually, most of the burden is carried by her. I'm on the sidelines for a lot of it, and then especially with my with my schedule, I wasn't. I wasn't able to be with her for a lot of this stuff. So she had to, she had to carry on a lot of it by herself. So there's, there's no one stronger that I know than her, no one more courageous than her, you know, and no more like persevering, having to go through this and not only go through this, but go through a lot of it by herself. Cause she would have to go to these appointments by herself. She had, you know, the DNCs by herself, a lot of this by herself. I mean, I, I, I came to a few of those, but a lot of the times I could not. So, so she had to carry a lot of that emotional burden herself, as well as the, I guess, um, um, I'm a loss of words, like, administ- like just going through the whole process. figuring yeah. it all Logistically, out. Logistically, that's like how, the word. Yep. How are you going to make it there? How are you right. going to pick up the prescriptions right. in between work and yeah. all the responsibilities you have? Yeah, it's, it's hard because I also travel for work mm-hmm. and trying to fit this in. Um, and 
again, you don't want to share it with too many people. Um, you know, even when it comes to like your manager or whomever, you don't want to talk about it because unfortunately there was never any positive news because even when we were pregnant, just based on our history, I, even if I was 12 weeks pregnant, I never felt confident and secure in sharing that information. Yeah. You know, the one pregnancy we had that went the furthest, I just started, we just started telling some people, I want to say at about four months, and our doctors were telling us, like, you're, this is good. You know, everything's looking great. <clears throat> you're, the baby is, was actually growing, like, ahead of, you know, I was going, I was always like high risk just because of my age. And by this point, all of like the, you know, pregnancy history I now had. So I was being monitored like every week for ultrasounds and the development was going so well. And like I said, again, at this point, by four months, we started telling some people and lo and behold, you know, I went in for one of my regular ultrasounds at about five months. And, you know, I, I knew just from like, the face of the technician, you know, cause they can't actually tell you what they're right. seeing, but she's, you know, doing, performing the ultrasound and I could just see it on her face. And I'm like, can you just tell me? And she's like, I can't tell you. And I'm like, can we, and you know, he was luckily with me for that ultrasound. And I'm like, can I just see the ultrasound? And by this point, I kind of also knew what I was looking for. And I just kind of burst into tears at that moment. Cause I'm like, it's not, you know, it's not growing and, uh, it's, it's hard. You know, with all of these miscarriages, I'm always thinking about, you know, our kid could have been five years old or four years old or I have so many of them. And with that specific pregnancy, one of my closest friends was two months ahead of me. And uh, it was actually so comforting. She's such, you know, one of my best friends and she was pregnant. We were so close um, to where we, you know, again, where we were at uh, with regards to just pregnancy weeks. And, you know, now her son is three years old. He's about to turn three. And, you know here we are and you know we're still just trying and it's it's hard it's really it's hard and you know when you go through things like that also you know if you see someone like a week later or two weeks later you know people it's common to ask people like how are things going and there's a lot of things like that are you're feeling and thinking but people we don't talk about this also yeah. um and i think people also don't know how to respond to it i think that it's a very complicated i'm getting emotional too um one because i can't imagine how hard it is to go through that or maybe i can a little bit just i can imagine sitting in the ultrasound room and i can definitely imagine the fear that something's going to go wrong um i think it's also very difficult to think about miscarriage where we're just starting as a culture really to talk about it in the last 50 years or something. And it's still so confusing how to talk about it with your friends when you see them. But I think something that I discovered that is even more complicated is the attachment that you have mm -hmm. to the possibility that this is going to be a baby yes. that you'll raise. This is going to be your baby. And even at those very early stages, your heart takes over. And that's so hard to explain to people. Your heart is like taking over and your dreams start forming immediately. All those things you talked about, like your kid or your family is growing up. You start thinking of those things and it's impossible to stop laying in bed at night, you know, thinking about all these dreams. And that I didn't expect when I was even getting into my own parenthood journey that I would attach this feeling to a pregnancy that was only six weeks along, you Absolute, know? Absolutely. And, you know, for us with the, 
we've had seven pregnancies, four through IVF and three naturally conceived, but all of our IVF pregnancies, um, because we had them genetically tested, the embryos, we always knew they were male, uh, you know, embryos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I would be lying if I said I didn't imagine like a little version of my husband, you know, like it's what I picture. And yeah, you definitely, you think about it and you start imagining what your life is going to look like, you know, where, what park are you going to take your kid to, or, you know, just, you have all these dreams. And again, I didn't, after probably the first two to three miscarriages, I kind of stopped thinking about all that. But with that one pregnancy where I got to five months, I did let myself think about that. I like gave myself permission. And, you know, I started going online and looking at the baby sites and started looking at what strollers or, you know, things like that. And we started I thought, looking at names and stuff yeah, like started that. thinking mm-hmm. of names. And, you know, we mm-hmm. thought at this point at five months, like what could possibly go wrong? And we were really reassured also, but you know, it just goes to tell you that there's no certainties in life. And, um, you know, I would say also through all of this heartache, um, there's definitely been a silver lining also that's come of it. You know, I, I think it's really made me, made both of us realize like what's most important in life. And it's not things, it's not stuff. Like it's people, you know, it's just the people we surround ourselves. It's our family. Um, That's what's most meaningful. So I appreciate this journey for that, for making me not lose sight of like, I guess for us, like what life is about, you know, wonder like looking back at your own families and thinking like oh it's not it's not um guaranteed that all my brothers and sisters would be here or my cousins you know like it's really really special that all these people are in my life because um it's not that easy no it's not and you know you kind of remind me of something like when I have friends or you know couples that just got married and they talk about well you know we're going to start having children we're going to start trying to have children at this time so that the baby will be born in this month and you know well I always wish the best for everyone you know it just I I miss that feeling of just believing everything just works as you plan for it you know because I guarantee you I did not think I was going to be 42 and still waiting to have a baby, you know, but we both feel so confident that it still is going to happen. It's just, this was obviously our journey. And, you know, again, I, I, I'm a, we both are such a firm believer in things happen for a reason and it just wasn't meant to be that way. And, but it will eventually happen. And uh, I, I, I want to think it's going to be even that much sweeter, you oh, know, yeah. when it does happen. And uh, I mean, I was, I've listened to your podcast many times, but hearing your specific one, um, just of you being in the courthouse, like it literally, I could just think about it and it makes yeah. me cry, <laughs> you know? And, but when I hear it, I guess it makes me even cry that much more. Cause I'm like waiting to the day, like for the day that that's going to be he and I in a courtroom kind of going through those same exact emotions that, you yeah. know, you went through yeah. and, um, and that's, that's, that gives us hope also. And something to look forward to you know and yeah and I mean even just in our limited journey of like surrogacy now um you know we just I mean I don't even have to tell you but just you know meeting Mary and her team and you now and I mean they're such wonderful people and again these we would have probably never crossed paths had it not been for this you know so there's still always positive that comes out of you know 
Can I ask, when did you start, um, what was the turning point where you decided to turn to surrogacy and look for resources? Yeah. Um, I would say the, the real turning point, I would say after about miscarriage number five, our reproduction endocrinologist kind of mentioned it's maybe something you want to think about, but again, because we responded so well to IVF and I was always getting pregnant, he said, you don't have to do it yet, but it's just maybe something you want to consider because he knew just kind of the emotional and physical toil, you know, it was taking on us. Um, but the real turning point was just last summer actually. And, uh, I, we had moved back to Chicago at this point. So I was, I was at a new, our fifth and final clinic. And, uh, I, for the first time, you know, I've been so focused on just trying to get pregnant when I was in this consult with my physician, I thought I would just mention her, you know, just kind of on the side, like I have a lot of pain also, Mm. you know, like every month, like it's really painful and I'm kind of almost like in debilitating pain. Um, like at that time of month, it's just, it's been really a challenge, but again, I always kind of, it was something that's been going on for so long, but I just wanted pregnancy to be the focus. Anyway, the long, long story short is, you know, after getting an MRI, they found out that I had adenomyosis. So I always have had fibroids, like pretty bad fibroids. And I had three fibroid surgeries to remove them. But they also found that I had adenomyosis, which is kind of like a sister uh, mm. of endometriosis. Okay. So it's like kind of when your uterine lining kind of grows into the muscle of the uterus, but it's very painful. But the way it was kind of described to me is that I have a very hostile uterus and they were actually shocked. I had been pregnant seven times, but they also said this probably is explaining why you're constantly miscarrying. And they didn't want to give me a specific percentage, but I said, I asked, what do you think our chance of success in carrying, you know, a baby to term are? And again, they, they didn't want to really give a number, but kind of push them. They're like, I mean, best case scenario, maybe less than 10%. Wow. And at that point, that, that was kind of what we needed to hear. Not that that was great news, but it at least solidified for us that, you know, this is the journey that we're going to now. It's time. Yeah, it's time. You know, there's only so much. I mean, again, by this point I had done seven rounds of IVF and, you know, other than just kind of the emotional, physical, I mean, there's also a huge financial burden with that. And so I just thought like we should use our resources and put it towards something that was going to have, um, hopefully, um, a higher likelihood of success, you know? So that was really the turning point was last summer. And, uh, how did you find, uh, the team at hope? So our clinic in Chicago gave us, you know, they had a sheet of paper with, numerous recommendations, primarily all Chicago-based surrogacy Mm -hmm. agencies, and just kind of in passing, the specific nurse that I was working with just mentioned Hope Surrogacy to me. She's like, you might want to look at them. They're based in Wisconsin, but, you know, maybe it could be of interest to you. So, you know, of course, me being very type A, I came home, I started doing research on all of the agencies, taking my notes, and, uh, you know, I didn't forget about Hope Surrogacy. And I Googled it and just like from even like reading on the page, like, you know, while I'm very kind of science based, I also kind of trust my gut. Sure. And I just liked what I was reading. Um, And then I had an initial, we both had an initial initial phone consult with Mary Mm -hmm. and, and speaking with her, I, it just felt right. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, having gone through it, like you can't, I can't tell you why, but it just felt right. Like I felt like we weren't just going to be a number, um, you know, cause we had already by this point spoke to one of the largest days agencies in Chicago and, you know, we were going to have a case manager and we were going to be one of many cases, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with sure. that. But I think at this point, like I was, I felt so like vulnerable and 
tender and I just wanted a little bit more of a family feel and mm -hmm. like someone who was really kind of infested in us and our outcome. And, um, and by this point also, she had mentioned to me that they were going to have a podcast and it was about <laughs> to air. I don't think when I first spoke to her, it, it had aired yet, sure. but, or maybe it had, but I remember I listened to two podcasts and I just was completely like, it just touched me like so deeply and she actually gave me the names of two former IPs um, that had, you know, yeah. they had worked with. And I spoke to one of them and it just, I just knew it, like it, it was the right fit. And uh, so, yeah, that's how we came here. And do you remember, Kumar, your conversation or kind of what clicked for you? It was definitely the interaction with Mary. She's yeah. super warm, super chatty. Um and then when we met her in person and met, um, you know, everybody else, I mean, uh, she took us on a tour of um, the town yeah. and we went to lunch and we got to know each other. It, it felt very close knit. It felt like a family. And, yeah. and you know, we're moving forward. We, we want to build a family, obviously. Yeah. So I was definitely getting those very strong, positive, warm vibes from her. And I think that's what really drew us yeah. to hope. And I think that a lot of people don't realize when they're going through this process and you now have been through it, even with your clinics, that you're, this is this can be such a long process and you don't realize when you sign up for it that these are people you're going to talk to for years of your life. Yeah. And they're going to be in your life one way or the other for so many years, um, whether it's your doctor or the agency you work with, certainly your surrogate, you know, all these people. And those vibes can really make a difference and can really help you stay hopeful and help you feel um, really connected to someone who's invested in this process as much as, as they can be mm -hmm. while you are so invested in it yourselves. I mean, because it's the most important journey of your lives. Absolutely. So yeah. And you know, you kind of uh, bring up a point when we were living in New York for a while, we, I switched clinics cause I obviously had to, we're from moving from Chicago mm -hmm. to New York, but a specific re reproductive endocrinologist came highly recommended to us. You know, he's working at the top hospital in New York city, just very well known people travel all over the world to come see him. So of course, without a doubt, I was like, that's who I have to see. But I was also warned that he doesn't have the warmest bedside manner. Yeah. And at the time I'm like, I don't care. I just want someone who's going to, basically get me pregnant and yeah. have a baby and you know he was an extremely smart physician um he, he just seemed very robotic and cold yeah and then I, I think at certain points when when she had concerns like there were certain points where she was afraid to even bring up her concern to the physician because just because oh, that's terrible just because he was he was very cold but very smart and but very intelligent. I, yeah. I think that what, what we learned from that, what I specifically realized, what I needed, whether it's a physician or someone who's going to, I guess, go on this journey with us is I do need someone who's, you know, compassionate and empathetic and just kind of willing to listen. Um, and again, that that was everything that hope surrogacy was yeah. for us. So so you you you're. Committed now to the surrogacy path, even at this point, you're you're looking at agencies, you're talking to Mary, you're talking to other people, and you decided to move forward with hope. Um, and I'm going to ask a question that you cannot answer, and we cannot talk about it. Sure. Um, I will. I 100% cannot be offended by you saying that. Don't worry. Um, but I did want to ask about, um, can, or can I? Can we talk about egg donation and that process, or is that something you would rather not talk about? It's okay. okay. We can talk about it. Uh, I just wonder what that process was like for you and um, and the creation of embryos, like kind of where that took you on your journey emotionally and medically and how that felt. Um, so egg donation was a pretty tough hmm. uh, process for me specifically because you know, I mentioned to you that I responded really well to IVF and I did the first three, no, the first four times really well, great, you know, um, yeah. it, 
My last three IVF cycles, though, got a lot of eggs, but when we sent them for testing, um, nothing came back Wow, healthy. I think at one point we had one that was inconclusive, um, but basically just wow. it, that was tough, you know, and just again, the time commitment, the time you spend, um, you know, we've talked about just that physical toll it takes on your body financially. And then you have like nothing to show for it. And so at that point, when we knew we were moving forward with surrogacy, um, the only way to make that happen was to, you know, use donor eggs. And that was, it was tough because A, they're not my eggs now. Um, but B, which we didn't realize at the time, you know, being of both he and I are of Indian descent and there's not a lot of donor eggs out there that are of Indian descent. And not that it necessarily mattered to us, but to some extent you, we wanted a child that was going to look like us. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly realizing that our options were very limited. That was tough actually, uh -huh. like tougher than what, here I thought, like, I actually thought to some extent it would be like online dating. You know, I put in my criteria and I'm going to have a plethora of options to choose from. If anything, I could put no criteria in and I would at best have like maybe 10 options. Wow. If that, it was really, really limited. Um, and then there were, you know, some other aspects that kind of really mm -hmm. just rubbed us a little bit the wrong way, but we found out that there is, uh, they actually have a surcharge for people of ethnicities that are, yeah. I guess like high demand or like, um, ethnicities that are not readily available. There's a surcharge on top of that. Yeah. Wait. Okay. So can I ask, cause I, I didn't do the search. Yeah. Were you searching like all over the country? Um, and then were you going to like a specific agency or was it like ever, it didn't matter what agency you went to? It didn't to? matter at that time. I, yeah, no, it didn't matter. Wow. We're looking at everything. We were looking at frozen egg banks, you know, private boutique agencies, anything and everything we were looking at. And again, you know, egg donation, if you're doing a private agency, it's, it's very expensive actually. I don't think people even realize that it's, it's very expensive. And then again, the added cost of, oh, you're of an ethnicity where we don't have a lot of donors. So we're going to charge you like an extra 20% or, you know, it wow. ranged from different clinics and it felt, I don't know, that specific thing felt so wrong to it's us. It's kind of like uh, kicking you when you're already down, like sort of thing. Like, you know, this is already hard enough. Like let's, turn the screw on you just a little bit more. Yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, and I mean, but we were lucky and that we finally actually did find someone who met a lot of the things that we were looking for. Um, you know, it was close to what we yeah. wanted and, you know, we feel pretty good about that, but, you know, I think that the challenge for he and I is, You know, how much of that information are we going to share with people yeah. down the road? Yeah. Um, not that in any way, shape or form, are we like embarrassed by it or feel like, you know, I specifically don't feel any sort of way like I wasn't able to, you know, use my own eggs. Sure. Like, I don't feel bad about that, but I think there is an element of judgment from other people and, you know, people... I think people are well-meaning and well-intentioned, but just they don't really understand everything. So there's just comments yeah. you hear, even with surrogacy, you know, people are like, oh, so you're not going to carry your own baby, you know, like, oh my gosh, I could never have another woman carry my baby. And it's like, it's, it's going to be my baby. Right. Like it doesn't and also make it like, yes, you would. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, you would. Yeah. You would do anything for your baby. Exactly. You would do anything for your baby. You just haven't had to think about it. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And that's what you want to say in the middle of the coffee shop that's so busy with all these people. You just be like, 
Oh, no, no, no. You know, just wag yeah. that finger and be like, you totally would. Think about your baby and bringing them into this world. You would do whatever it took. I mean, I think the other thing yeah. that people have said that's really hurtful is, you know, why don't you guys just adopt? Mm. And it's it's an interesting comment because, you know, unless you're to an average couple, no one would ever say to them, you know, why don't you just adopt a child? But there's something about when people know you're going through IVF and you're having trouble, people feel like they have this right to give you opinions mm -hmm. on how to create your family. And, you know, adoption is absolutely wonderful and beautiful. And, you know, that's not, that's not to say we're never open to it, but for us at that point at this moment in time, you know, we thought surrogacy, um, mm. you know, using donor egg and, you know, using a gestational carrier was our best option. But it's, it's interesting, the things that people say. And I don't think a lot of times people realize like how hurtful it yeah. is, you know, it, and that's, I mean, people also don't understand adoption's not easy also. You know, we did look into that also. Um, I mean, none of this is easy. You know, what, whatever route you go, you know, it's all like filled with challenges. Um, but I think you have to do just what feels right to you. And even though I mentioned to you, you know, using donor eggs initially, that felt tough, Um again, with the limited options. But, you know, once we decided that's what we're going to do, I feel 100% that baby is going to be 100% my baby, you know? And yeah. I guarantee when that baby slowly gets older, I'm going to think that, you know, that baby has my nose or my <laughs> chin. Like, it doesn't it's matter. It's so funny because yeah. <laughs> my daughter is genetically linked to my husband. Okay. Um, she has a dimple on her right cheek and not on her left, which is just like me. <laughs> and I just love that yeah. so much. Right. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, like whatever you do, that baby is yeah. yours, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, I actually had a girlfriend who struggled to get pregnant mm -hmm. for a while and finally did through IVF. But she made the comment to me before she knew we were going to do surrogacy, like, you know, use a gestational carrier. She's like, if we never got pregnant this way, like we could never use a surrogate. We would 100% adopt. I could never have someone else carry my baby. And, you know, at that point, we knew what route we were going. Yeah. But it's just it's, those things are hard to hear and yeah. they're hurtful. But again, you know, I think just to kind of keep moving on. Like yeah. I, I have to keep telling myself that, you know, people are well-intentioned and, you know, they mean well, but I think these are topics that we don't talk about often. That's I think right. they're starting to come a little bit more to the forefront with, you know, certain celebrities now like using sure. surrogates. And so people are starting to understand that there's other ways to build a family. Um, but, you know, even actually like within our family, um, you know, we've been very open about our IVF process, but with surrogacy specifically, um, I haven't talked about it a whole lot just yet. Um, for me, part of it is because I want to protect my parents also to some extent, because I feel like they've gone through that emotional journey right along with me, you know, yeah. I'm pregnant, I'm not pregnant, I'm pregnant, yeah. I'm not, you know, so I think part of me wants to protect that. And I only want to tell them once we're matched and then once our surrogate is pregnant, yeah. then I want to tell them, you know, so to some extent it, what we're going through at this very moment, very, very few people know about what we're going through. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm so excited to share it with people once we're at the place that, you know, we want to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, for us, you know, using donor eggs, doing surrogacy, we have a lot of things that people just aren't necessarily comfortable with also. I will um, give you one little thing that I have learned yes. because people are always walking up to me in the supermarket or whatever and saying, is she yours? And I always just say yes. Yeah. And I know what they're asking yeah. and I just say yes. Yeah. Like, yes. And then they're like, oh, but I mean, you know, if they'll go further and they'll say, oh, is it your sperm? And I said, well, she's mine. Right. And she's genetically linked to Charlie. Right. You know, and yeah. I think like separating... I think separating those things and like 
changing the way people talk about it is so helpful for other families too, you know? Right. Um, and I never, ever want my kid to hear me say anything but yes to that question. Right. Absolutely. That will never happen. Absolutely. And I feel so strongly about it. And, um, and because so few people talk about it, mm-hmm. you never, you know, it's, you don't even know how to anticipate the question. So I'm like, we can talk about it now. Yeah. No, I mean, he and I have spoke about like when we do have a baby, we want to tell our yeah. like child from a really young age, because I mean, I actually think it, it's really special and it, in a way, I mean, this is how much you were loved mm-hmm. that, you know, mommy and daddy did X, Y, or Z to bring you into this world. Um, you know, I mean, I think if anything, it's just a little bit more special. Yeah. And it's not just mommy and daddy. It's going to be mommy, daddy, and whoever carries their child yeah. for us. It, yeah. It's everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful to think about all of the people, all the women in particular mm-hmm. who want and cherish the journey that this baby took to get here you know it's going to be egg donor it's going to be gestational carrier it's going to be the team at hope it's going to be you guys it's going to be the people around you who are cheering you on um you know for us we had to we have a milk donor who helped uh with our daughter you know so it's like all just all of these amazing people that are part of her story right you know it's it's i i i hope she feels nothing but proud um of that and bolstered up by it, you know, I'm sure she will. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're all signed up for surrogacy. You have gone through the application process. You have embryos. Yes. Frozen. Yes. Well, not, not embryos. Not embryos. Oh, we no. have eggs we have and eggs. sperm, yeah. obviously. Um, our, my, our physician right now, our reproductive endocrinologist, she only wants to fertilize prior to transfer. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So you've got all of the pieces in place Mm -hmm. to do your transfer. And now you are waiting to be matched with a surrogate. Yes. So what are you feeling at this point about the match? And what are you anticipating? Maybe what you're afraid of, what you're excited about? Um, I I think the waiting is the toughest part. Yeah. Like, I mean, in our minds, when we, when we decided to move forward with hope, uh, I, I wanted to hear something the next day, yeah. you know, and now we're about six and a half months out, still waiting. So that's, I think, the toughest part. I think one of the one of my fears is, I hope our our match likes us, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I hear like listening to the podcast, like these great relationships that form between, you know, um, the, the the IP and and the the, the surrogate, and then they seem like great like friendships that. Go yeah. on afterwards, like I hear people, um, some of these families are, you know, they're still communicating, they're doing Skype, reading Vacation stories together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ultimately I would, I would like to have something like that, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I feel other than of course the waiting is so tough, but I'm so anxious to meet her because I feel like I already just want to run up to her and give her like this huge hug and be like, Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, like, um, like there is this woman out there who, I mean, you know, he and I are going to be forever indebted to and grateful for. And, you know, I know, I think better than other or than many people just having gone through it myself. Like I know what, what she's going to go through and what all is involved. And because of that, I feel like I have such a deep appreciation for what she's willing to do already. And so for that, like, I already love her basically. And, you know, I'm just dying to meet her. And, uh, I, like he said, I hope she's a part of our life. Um, her and her family, like, I hope that, you know, that we're going to have a very long lasting, you know, friendship. And, um, you know, I, I firmly believe that the more people you have in your life to love, you know, your children and vice versa, like, I think that's just such a wonderful thing. And, you know, I'm guessing she's going to have kids of her own and look forward to meeting these kids. And, uh, just, yeah, I'm so excited. Thinking about my own journey, Mm -hmm. um, with our surrogate Giovanna and, um, we are, 
like basically a couple months away from meeting our son, you know, who's, we have an induction date scheduled. We have a, yes, we have a delivery date that we're expecting. And, um, as you were talking about like meeting your surrogate, I started thinking about when we met Giovanna and I got, Oh wow. I just wanted to cry just then because (laughs) I'm already so sad about our journey with Giovanna the pregnancy part, at least being over, it has been one of the most special things that I've ever gotten to do. Oh, <laughs> getting choked up. One of the most special things that I've ever gotten to do in my life. And you have no way to anticipate what your relationship with this woman and her family will be like. It has been the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful gift I could never have asked for. And the thing that we wanted to do together to bring these babies in the world, we're, we're about to be done. We're like almost to the finish line. I'm so proud of it. And I think about the two of you and it's going to happen and you'll get matched. And I am at the point where I'm kind of at the end of it thinking, Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. You guys are in for it. (laughs) You're in for it. It is the most beautiful thing. We're so looking forward to it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're now closing in on six years of, you know, pregnancies and IVF. And so we've had a lot of time to really kind of soak it in and understand that it wasn't the way in which we had the baby. It was just that ultimately we had that family and this is just our process and that's totally fine and we're good with it. And I love how much the both of you have taken this journey and are already kind of writing it as a beautiful journey for your kids. You know, that this, by the time your kids are old enough to hear this story, it's going to be a good one. Yeah. It's going to be a beautiful one. You know, the ups and the downs and all of it leading to the day that they arrived and then a lifetime of being with you. I I hope so. That's what, that's what we're hoping. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I literally, I mean, you know, he's used to me like taking notes on everything, but I've literally been tracking like the first time I reached out to Mary and, uh, you know, when we sent in our application, when we met her and, you know, just everything. Cause this to me is all a part of that baby story for us. And, uh, and I, I love it, you know, and, uh, I never knew it was going to turn out this way, but it's, it's nice. Yeah. And it's more yeah. beautiful than, than you, than you think when you first have that realization, you have to do it. Absolutely. There are, like you said, there are silver linings to it. There are gifts of it yes. along the way. I mean, I don't think people understand like how common it is and how many people like go through this. I just think there's a need for people to just be a little bit more open-minded and um, empathetic. Um, And that just comes, I think, with time and with people being more willing to speak freely about it. Like you you guys are doing now. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, no. And honestly, that's a huge reason as to why, like, we wanted to do it. I know he was a little more hesitant. Um... And granted, I'm not like necessarily comfortable. I've never recorded a <laughs> podcast, but I do think it's important for people to know, like, you know, like, I mean, I mentioned to you earlier, you know, we're both of Indian descent. Like, I think it's good to know that there is many different types of people that are going through this and there's nothing taboo about it. Yeah. You know, it's only taboo if you make it taboo. And if anything, like, you know, we've talked about, it's really just such a beautiful thing. HopeWorks is a podcast created by Hope Surrogacy. We're so excited that you're joining us for season two. Just make sure that you subscribe at hopesurrogacy.com slash podcast or on iTunes so you don't miss a minute of these incredible conversations. Thank you to the entire community of surrogates, parents, and supporters who make this work so amazing. And a special thank you to Kiran and Kumar. You two are brave and you're so generous And you already are two of the most incredible parents that I know. Thank you for sharing your story. 
We'd also love to give a big thank you to SeedTrust who has helped make this episode possible. SeedTrust provides dependable escrow services for surrogates, intended parents, and egg donors. During your surrogacy journey, you have got to have a solid plan for your finances. Believe me, as a parent who's had two babies through surrogacy, I know. At SeedTrust, you'll find quality managers you can count on and a secure online platform that's accessible, transparent, and reliable. SeedTrustEscrow.com. On time, online, worry-free. That's SeedTrustEscrow.com. If you're listening and you're interested in finding out more about becoming a surrogate, come chat with us at hopesurrogacy.com. Find stories on the blog, leave us a message on our contact page, or come say hello on Instagram and Facebook. Just search at Hope Surrogacy. Thank you for listening to Hope Works. On behalf of all of us at Hope, Mary, Leanne, Amy, and myself, we can't wait to hear from you and to talk about how Hope works. <laughs>